Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient and Real podcast hosted by San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health. I'm Renee Linares, Program Specialist 2, and I am so excited to be here today for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is my first time hosting the podcast. And number two, this is only the second time the podcast has featured a guest from outside of the department. So joining us today is Arlene Molina, Assistant Director of San Bernardino County Preschool Services Department. Welcome to the podcast, Arlene. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited to talk with you today. So let's start off with your background, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Preschool Services Department. Sure. So I've been in the field of early education for about 20 years, and that's looked a lot of different ways. So I started out at community colleges and uh, university working in campus lab schools, and our focus primarily was being able to accommodate students and, of course, being able to help the children to be school ready. I moved on to working with the Office of Education and Camp Pendleton in San Diego. And our focus was a little bit different there. It was the first time that I really worked with agencies that included mental health as part of the conversation. And and having worked there and been part of the local planning council, really saw the importance of focusing on early childhood mental health. And then I worked in LA County with an agency that primarily focused on early childhood mental health. And we added in a little bit of education. And then when I came to PSD, I was really excited because PSD looks at children and families holistically, right? Mental health is certainly one aspect and also education, physiological health, family wellness, all of those things factor in. So here with preschool services, I started out as our support services manager, which really is the person, which really was, I was the person who oversaw all of comprehensive services. So making sure that parents had access to financial management, economic stability, to manage their own health and wellness, and to be educated and informed about their child's education, mental health, physical health, and how they could advocate for their child across multiple systems in the county. And then I moved on to be a deputy director, and so really helped the department focus on how to integrate all of those things in education. And and a lot of my introduction at that time was how PSD worked with other county departments. Really took an interest in the PEI and LIFT programs, oversaw the different components of that, our behavior interventionalists, our nurses. And then very recently in June, I was offered the position of assistant director. And so now it's even more of a global perspective on what PSD does. But I'm also starting to see what other departments do around mental health, equitable access to care, and all of those things. So I'm really excited to be able to grow with this department in this county because Mental health is a focus for us, and especially during COVID, you know, ensuring that families had food and shelter, absolutely, and also that they had the mental health support that they needed. Thank you so much for that. You did mention PEI, so Mm -hmm. that is Prevention and Early Intervention, which is funded by the Mental Health Services Act. You also mentioned LIFT, which is Low Income First Time Mothers Program. So can you tell me a little bit more about those particular programs? Absolutely. So I will give a little bit of background with Head Start, which is our primary funder, which is a federal grant to give kids basically a head start and closing those performance gaps that we see in school of children who have less access economically and have less access to support services. Head Start requires that we provide comprehensive services, one of which is mental health support. And without support in the community, we have limited access to do that. And so 
having the partnership with DBH for the prevention and early intervention program has been pivotal because it allows us to be able to bring clinical staff in as consultants. Our agency specifically provides behavior interventionists who have some background in mental health, but they surely aren't clinicians. Um, and their primary focus is working with teachers. So when we look at PEI and how it looks in preschool services, we have kind of like a pyramid, right? We have a universal level, and which really is a bringing an understanding to parents and teachers of how social, emotional, and mental health development should look if things are progressing typically. And so we have curriculum that goes to supporting pro-social behaviors and identifying and managing strong feelings, all of the things that lay the foundation for good mental health and hygiene. And then we have a, an intensive layer for those children who need extra support. Right. It, it might be that they have a harder time integrating. Um, they might be very, very shy. They might be showing signs of limited pro social skills, limited executive functioning. And so we target supports from them, but still in the classroom. So we might do something like cueing and priming for them if transitions are difficult and all of these things, the training for these, and then a portion of the staff salaries for these are funded through PEI. So without the PEI DBH partnership with PSD, it would be very difficult for us to provide these services. And then at the very top of our pyramid, we have clinical services. And PSD does not employ clinicians. And so we partner with clinicians in the community that are funded through the PEI program to bring in clinical services for parents and children. So what this looks like is we have marriage and family therapist interns that go into the house. We have a psychologist who provides clinical services for intensive cases, right? So our very high-risk cases, and also who come into our classrooms and provide support and strategies for teachers. So all of this clinical level is really designed to help those children that PSD would really have to outsource for, and we're making them part of our team. They join our interdisciplinary team meetings. They have relationships with our teachers. And so it really is kind of a seamless way to be able to provide the services. Additionally, they use evidence-based practices that our staff, again, we don't have therapists and we don't have counselors, we don't have mental health clinicians, so our staff wouldn't even have access to receive that training. So they use right now TheraPlay and they use it one-on-one -on -one for our families and children, but they also have group TheraPlay sessions in our sites where they're providing group therapy to identify children as, as well as other children. And then they also provide strategies for reducing aggressive behavior and increasing desirable pro-social behaviors. So it adds that element of us being able to have that expertise so our teachers feel less overwhelmed, so our parents are less fearful of their children being expelled or suspended because a lot of the parents with children who come to us with high needs have been kicked out of multiple preschools. You know, the parents are at their wits end. They have to work. They want to get services to their children. They need assistance and they don't know where to go. So Head Start offers them a space to go to. And this partnership with DBH offers us a means to be able to provide them the specialized services. And with regard to our LIFT program, we have an early Head Start program, which targets pregnant women. So it serves children um, birth to three 
And then we are also required to enroll women who are pregnant. The LIFT program overlaps with that and gives us the ability to provide registered nurse services to women who are pregnant. Now, LIFT, the acronym is Low Income First Time Mothers. And since I've been here, so I've been with PSD for three years, it has been expanded to non-first time mothers. And this is important because oftentimes we'll see mothers who have successive pregnancies that are very close to each other. And so just kind of back to back and they might not have had the access during their first pregnancy to a program like this. The high need for this program becomes obvious when you think about the infant mortality, prenatal mortality rates in our state and in in our country, especially with regard to women of color. So we know that there is limited access, and we know that even when women of color do have access to prenatal care, the results aren't always as favorable as women in other groups. And so one of the things that we're really proud of is our nurses build a relationship, right? It's not just going in once a month or checking their vitals. They build a relationship with them. We have women who are experiencing domestic violence. We have women who are homeless. We have women who have very fragile support systems. And so our nurses are able to provide answers for those questions that they aren't able to ask other places. One example is we know that, you know, pregnancy comes with a certain amount of swelling and inflammation. My feet are so fat today. You know, my hands are swollen and nurses are able to be able to provide guidance on when that's typical and when it's dangerous right? And be able to have conversations with their doctors so that we can have coordinated care. They have the mothers have a place to text or send a message to, to say, Hey, this is going on with me today. I wasn't sure if it's right, but I don't think um, it's a big enough deal to call my doctor. And the nurses are able to go in and see them, answer those questions, you know, partner with them so that they can have a healthy baby. And the program even allows that partnership to extend until the babies are 24 months old. So our mothers don't feel like they're being abandoned. After they give birth, also, they can have conversations around family planning. Do you want to have another child? When do you want to plan that for? Do you know that there are these resources in the community? That was wonderful. Thank you so much. This is why I'm so happy to have you as my first guest, because I just know that you had so much information to share with us. You did mention reaching out and having the support of clinicians for the children. What about postpartum depression and Do you have clinicians that can work with mothers as well with postpartum depression? Absolutely. So a couple of different things. PSD provides screening, right? So we screen children for possible mental health concerns. We screen for possible developmental concerns. And we screen mothers prenatally and postnatally at specified periods for anxiety, depression, any any of those pieces. Even in the case of pregnancy law, we still stay with them until they're stabilized. And because these two programs work together and they're not separated, they're really integrated programs, we have the clinicians from you know PEI who are able to use some of their hours to support Lyft. And there are two goals of that. We want to address the immediate need. Absolutely. You know, early identification 
of the women or children who need that extra support, decreased time between identifying that they need support and actually um, receiving the assistance from the clinicians, and then to be able to find them a stable provider in the community that can provide long-term care. So all of those things are kind of managed in a collaboration between our behavioral health specialists, our registered nurses, our contract clinicians, and then we also have a supervising nurse who kind of looks at all of the different pieces and helps to coordinate and integrate so that we really have a seamless process that our consumers don't fill, but that we really work hard on behind the scenes. So you talked about Lyft, you talked about PEI with the Head Start children. Do you have any success stories that you could share with us? Absolutely. So one that I think is very kind of inspirational, we had a set of twin siblings last year who presented with both developmental needs as well as mental health needs. We saw high instances of aggression, low use of pro-social behaviors, low display of executive functioning, and that was having an impact on the family, mom and dad, as well as the teaching staff. So, you know, we had teaching staff at their wit's end. We had parents who were afraid of their children being asked to leave the program and who were also afraid of really presenting this to the family, their family, their extended support system, because some of the feedback had been, uh, if you were a better parent, this wouldn't be happening. You know, you should be stricter. You should be less strict. You should spank them. You should talk to them. And so they were, you know, the parents were experiencing their own difficulty supporting their children, feeling very unsuccessful. Teachers were experiencing difficulty supporting their children, feeling unsuccessful. And I can't even imagine what the children felt like, you know, coming in and feeling um, escalated all the time and not feeling like you had a space to belong and all of those things that come with the dysregulation. And so we quickly brought in clinicians, our MFT interns, as well as that intensive supervision from their supervisor. And We were also able to connect parents with parenting classes in the community so that they can see that they weren't the only ones going through this, right? One of the things that we want to do is decrease the feeling of isolation, you know, have a situation where parents can come to each other and talk about all the things going on and also see that even though it feels like you're the only one in the world, there's actually other parents who are going through the same things concurrently and you can get ideas from them and you can, you know, if, if nothing else, there's that feeling of being seen and being heard. And like I said, our teachers were feeling overwhelmed too. So our behavior health specialists, as well as our MFT interns provided really holistic support to that teacher. The teacher had access to training on how best to support children who were presenting with behaviors that were difficult for group care. So at the end of all of this, and and this isn't a magic wand process. It's not something that you get trained and then three days later, everything changes. It's something that you get trained and then you get coached and then you work on it and you get coached again and you work on it again. It, it's We really have to shift away from the idea that, oh, great, the clinician's here, let's hand them off. Or I've had a training, this should all transform overnight. Uh, Supporting mental health is a process that's lifelong, right? We want children to learn those good habits. We want parents to understand what they can manage on their own and what they need assistance for so that over the course of the lives of these children, 
they're getting the support they need and they're feeling successful and so are their parents. And so our teachers, I think through this process are learning that and being able to see because previously, right, we refer kids out and we never see them again. Or we do the education part and we send them away for the mental health part. One of our goals with this collaboration is to reduce the stigma around mental health um, support and receiving mental health services. And even the idea that the, the clinicians come in, the teachers use different strategies, and these children in particular had specialized items to help them focus. Just like we wouldn't let another child use a child's wheelchair, the other children weren't allowed to access the items that they needed to be able to focus during certain times of the day. And it was an excellent opportunity to talk to the rest of the kids and tell them, oh, that's what this child needs. Is there something that we can get you that you like? Or, you know, oh, those are for him. He needs those so that he can sit with us at circle time. What do you need to sit with us? And it really helps to teachers to see that there are some items that children need that only should be exclusively for them. And it helps children to understand that different people need different things. It's not about us all getting the same thing. It's about everyone getting what they need. So it really, this case to me was like the perfect combination, but it took months and months. This all happened over the course of a year. It took multiple meetings with parents, support from outside agencies, from the parent resource centers, support from clinicians, and then a commitment to do the work. Because at the end of the day, our teachers could have said, it's too hard. That's not what I'm going to do. Or it's not working, so I'm going to stop doing it. And the parents could have said, this is too hard. I'm just going to pull my kids out and leave them with a family member or a babysitter. But everyone in this group was committed. And that really is what it takes to help to get children from where they are without support to where they can be if they have support of the entire community, really. I am just still just overwhelmed with all the great information that you're providing today. And it is just amazing to see the work that Preschool Services is doing with young children because they are our our most vulnerable residents within the community. And I think one of the things that we don't consider, and I know previously, so I got into early childhood mental health probably around 2013-ish because San Diego State had a credential for early child mental health supporters. Previous to that, we had never really thought about it, right? Babies don't understand. Uh, But now that we know more about brain development and how um, adverse childhood experiences affect us lifelong, you know, both in the mental health arena, but also in the physiological health arena, um, we're paying closer attention. And we're seeing how preschools and care providers can be a mediator between experiences that children have and outcomes, right? We can impact outcomes. We can increase resiliency through our interactions with children. Also, we can provide Head Start is very, very focused on providing two-generational support. So while we're working with children to mediate for any trauma that they've experienced, we're also working with parents to limit the amount of trauma moving forward right? We're working with parents too, so that, I mean, at the end of the day, we send kids home and we want to send them to homes where parents have access to all the services that they need, you know, with the recognition that mental health doesn't start at eight or 10 or adulthood. Um, There are things that we could and should be doing now so that children have a chance to choose their pathway and to 
receive all the services that they're entitled to. At the end of the day, we want to see, you know, our children represented in academia and in the medical profession. And we want to see them as lawyers and engineers. And the way to do that is for them to receive all the services that they need now to be able to regulate and engage in all of those pro-social behaviors. We know that kids who are hungry and dysregulated and have a toothache can't engage like other kids. And this is one of those aspects we want to support children in getting everything that they need. Awesome. So how do our listeners get in touch with Preschool Services Department if they are in need of, you know, enrolling their child in a Head Start program or a a pregnant woman right now looking for resources. I was doing some research. I believe the telephone number they can call is 1-888-KIDS-0-5. Yes, 0-2-5. That's exactly it, Renee. And then our website is PSD dot sbcounty.gov. And there we have a number of different things. We have access to interest forms um, that can be filled out online that will let us know that someone wants to enroll their child. So our enrollment services staff will reach out to them and facilitate that process. We also have a number of resources for families, including our newly minted parent newsletters that have a number of different activities and provide um, an overview of the support services offered. So we have a number of services for families, including parenting processing groups, right? So we have monthly groups in English and Spanish that are done during the day and during the evening to be able to capture as many parents as possible that have topics such as parenting fatigue, how to manage stress during the holidays, developmental milestones, like what's typical and what's atypical for development. So there are groups that are facilitated by a clinician that groups of our parents go to to have conversations amongst each other that are facilitated by the clinician. And they're designed to help reduce some of that parenting stress. Parenting is stressful. There's no way to get around it. And we want our parents to have the support. So all of these, we have parent webinars, things like um, how to advocate for your child, how to manage money, um, what to do if your child gets sick, when to take them to the doctor, to the hospital. And so all of those things are on our website, as well as local resources just in the community. So even if we have parents in the community who aren't quite ready to enroll their children yet, they can still go to our website and be connected with things like local parent resource centers, the Inland Regional Center, if they have concerns about their children developmentally, links to local school districts. So it is a wealth of knowledge even before you're ready to enroll your child. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing all of this information. Is there anything else that you can think of that you want to share with our listeners today? We're certainly here for enrollment needs, you know, for to to accept those communities into our programs. Also, if you don't quite know where to go, don't hesitate to call preschool services because even if it's not our service, we are dedicated to helping parents find the services they they need in our counties and in our communities. So um, when you're feeling like you don't know where to go, call preschool services and we can perhaps help direct you. Thank you. Thank you so much. One last thing before we end our show, we like to ask our guests what they do to practice self-care. What is something that you do to promote self-care? This may feel a little silly, but as 
um, a very busy single mom, it's hard for me to kind of carve out time alone. So I've taken to fancy skincare. So last summer, I had no idea what a serum or a toner was. But now I'll spend a good 20 minutes every evening putting on lotions and masks and washing my face. And the kids know that this is my time for me to de-stress. And so maybe because it's in my bathroom and um, I'm very serious about all these products, they allow me to have that time. We're all very aware that I, I don't ask for much time on my own, but skincare is, is vital for me. And consequently, I feel like my skin's been looking fresher than ever. <laughs> that is wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, we all need at least a good 30 minutes a day just to practice self-care and, and regroup and yes. gain our composure and, and be able to finish off the day. And it's hard. My, my kids range from 21 to four. And so I think that comparing that to, oh, when you're in the tub, I don't bother you. <laughs> you know. So when I do this, you know, it, it's creating a, a kind of respect for the time that we need on our own. Yes. And very, very important for our mental health. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Arlene, for uh, sharing all the wonderful information that you had about yourself, your background, and the wonderful work that Preschool Services does for the residents of San Bernardino County. Thanks, Renee. Thank you for listening to another episode of Resilient and Real. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode drops. For more information about Department of Behavioral Health, visit sbcounty.gov forward slash dbh. Don't forget, October 2nd through October 8th is Mental Health Awareness Week. Plus, follow the department on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Until next time, remember to live life resilient and real.